a good move. Why you dancing? Dancing is forbidden. Yoo-hoo, running crew, welcome to Dancing is Forbidden, an Aqua Teen Hunger Force exploration. I am Ronnie, and on this podcast, I am watching through and talking about every Aqua Teen episode, one episode at a time. And the episode we are watching through and talking about this week is Season 4, Episode 1, Dirtfoot. I always thought Dirtfoot was just a hoax. Me too. Oh no, he is real. He's very real. And he likes to leave his very real giant sock draped over the couch like it was a friggin' afghan so that others can enjoy the very real odor of his 2,000-year-old foot sweat. Dirtfoot premiering December 4th, 2005. And this is one of those episodes that I've always looked forward to covering on the podcast. Because this is one I definitely saw back in the day. Now, I don't know if I saw it the night it premiered. It's not like I kept a diary about that kind of stuff. Like, you know, Dear Diary, December 4th, watched a new episode of Aqua Teen. It was funny as hell. Unfortunately, I don't have that documentation. But this is one I am very familiar with. One that I've always loved. And spoiler alert, I still love it. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, just a warning for you that whenever we start a new season of Aqua Teen like this, th- these episodes are always longer than the typical episodes, so please check the show notes. You'll find uh, you'll find some timestamps there if you want to jump around, but very excited to get into it, not only because Dirtfoot is a great episode, but we had some help on this one. Not only did I get a great correspondence with our friend Bob Pettit, Aquatine's prop and art director, but we also got some help from Phil Sampson, the episode's sole editor. Phil provided me with a rough cut of this episode, so I'm very excited to go through that and share with you some bits of dialogue and some some changes they made that didn't quite make it into the episode, so that's always fun. But beyond that, we have a very special appearance by Aquatine co-creator Dave Willis, He's talking to us about some stuff, and I'm very thankful that he did. So, lots of fun here, but you know, before we can get into Dirtfoot, we've got some other stuff to talk about. First up, our Aqua Teen news this week. Unfortunately, I couldn't find anything for you. There was really nothing <laughs> nothing to be found. So, I mean, hey, sue me. I, I, I can't find something for you every single time. So, since the internet let me down, I had to ask the man himself, Dave... Season 12 of Aqua Teen. How are these episodes coming along? I mean, we're in great shape. We're, we turn, we've turned in all the edits. Uh, we're getting, still getting animation on the fourth and fifth episodes, and we're going to start sweetening. We got uh, audio on the first one today. Uh, so we're, we're steaming ahead, and I know they're going to air sometime this year. I just don't, I, I'm not, I'm, not allowed to say when, I guess. So, <laughs> but it, there is like a date in mind that you know of. I think there's a ballpark date, yeah. And I really don't know how that works with um, like where they're going to air with regards to TV and HBO Max. And I, I just no, no clue, man. No clue. 
Dave's got no clue when or where they're coming out, but he does know that they're turning out pretty dang good. So I'm very excited to see them whenever they are done and whenever uh, Warner Discovery decides that we are allowed to see them. I think it'll be very great. So thank you to our junior correspondent, Dave Willis, on that. Dave did this for some extra credit uh, for his college course, so I'm signing off on his worksheet right now. Really appreciate it. And something tells me we'll be hearing from Dave later in the episode. So, since we have a ton of stuff to go through, let's skip our podcast news this week. We'll talk about it later. Why don't we go ahead and talk about the pop culture of the time that Dirtfoot premiered? That's right. Nostalgia time, baby. Let's get it. Competing in an international wizarding competition all the way to the top of the box office this week, we have old Harry Potter with the Goblet of fire bringing in about 20 million this week which isn't really that high but it's been the top of the box office the previous two weeks as well and for context its first week out it brought in over 102 million dollars so this is it just winding down here sunsetting after its dominance in the box office it did so well that you could say that it avada cadavered all of the previous harry potter records it kicks some ass To touch on this film very quickly, I don't want to dwell on it. This isn't a Harry Potter podcast, all right? I've made it very clear that I don't really care for the Harry Potter movies, but I do like the books, and this was my favorite book. I really liked the way that this one kind of uh, focused on some world building. We got to meet all sorts of wizards and witches from around the world, as opposed to the previous books. It really just focuses in on the students at Hogwarts, which of course is in the UK, but this, the book at least, was very fun because you had this whole wizarding competition between these international students, but you also had it kind of uh, contributing to the overall plot of Harry Potter with Voldemort and all that spooky crap. And this was really, I think, the first kind of dark book. I mean, uh, <laughs> spoilers, but there's a death in it of one of the students, and it just really uh, marks the the darkening, for lack of a better term. That sounds like a, an Aqua Teen episode name or something. It marks uh, the, the series getting darker in tone, which I, I really appreciated, as opposed to the kiddier nature of the earlier books. But the film here, I remember not really liking it that much. Just, uh, again, it's the same old fucking story every time. I just didn't like the stuff that they changed, and I understand they can't make it a one-to-one representation of the book, but they do change some things that doesn't really make sense to change. So, those are some of my thoughts on it, but you know what? We've got a new segment, baby. Season 4 of Aqua Teen, we're diving into it. I gotta step up my game, and we have a new segment here that I honestly (laughs) can't believe I just now thought of. We go through the pop culture here talking about the films and television, the music, and the video games of the time. And I can't help but notice that this kind of corresponds to our heroes in Aqua Teen. Master Shake loves TV and movies. Meatwad, of course, we know loves video games. I mean, Clam Digger, Video Ouija, Insult Master, the list goes on. And Frylock even is revealed he's a bit of a music nut. I mean, in the MCP Pants episode, he talks about it. He has a keyboard in his room that he plays. So I figured, why don't we go through, and we're talking about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire here. Would Master Shake like Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? I'm going to say no. I don't think that Shake would have really contributed to the $20 million that this film brought in this week. 
Uh, I, I don't think that this would really be his thing. We know that Shake likes Lord of the Rings, which of course is much more uh, adult and grown up in nature. I think Harry Potter, at least the films, would be probably too kiddy or lame for him. So I don't think that Shake would be getting down with this film. So that is our film news for this week. Let's give a sweet listen to our top album this week. The top album on the Billboard charts this week is Confessions on a Dance Floor by Madonna, selling over 350,000 units this week. And I was not one of them sold, but I always really liked this song, and I still listen to it to this day. That song being hung up from the record, Confessions on a Dance Floor. And I'm not like a huge Madonna fan, but I do like a lot of her stuff, particularly her 80s stuff, but it's just phenomenal that she was able to come back here in the mid-aughts with a huge hit like this song was everywhere there were some other songs on this record that were very big and it was the top selling record i mean you don't see many 80s stars doing that but she's madonna after all what do you expect so i had never heard this whole album before so i went back and listened to it for this podcast episode and overall i thought it was pretty good and, and there were some songs on there that i had heard but i didn't even know were madonna because you just don't expect them to be like, oh, this this mid-aughts hit. You don't expect it to be from an 80s star. So, for example, the song Jump, I mean, you probably still hear in com commercials today. So, overall, a solid listen. I don't think the record sounded that outdated. But still, I mean, Hung Up, the song I played, great track. And, I mean, of course, it is sampling the ABBA song. I think Give Me a Man After Midnight, I think off the top of my head, that's what it is. Oh, I'm sorry. It's actually Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. A Man After Midnight. One gimme wasn't enough. I'm sorry, Abba. See, this is why they are pop legends, and I am not. I would have just, I would have stopped at one gimme, honestly, so uh, apologies there. And since we're talking about the song Hung Up, just 11 days later, on November 15th of 2005, Hung Up sets a new record in the download charts by staying at number one for seven consecutive weeks. So this Madonna lady, I think the point is, she's going places. What would Frylock think about Confessions on a Dance Floor? Would he like it? I don't think Frylock would like the entire album. I don't see him buying it, but I think he would very much like Hung Up. I think he'd hear it somewhere, and I could see him listening to it and humming along while working on his inventions. So that is our top album this week. What is our top Billboard single? At the top of the Billboard single chart this week, we have 16-year-old Chris Brown with Run It, where he's singing about how good at sex stuff he is, even though, again, 
he's only 16. I don't doubt him for a second. I don't know about you, but I, I believe him. This song is very convincing. And let me tell you, listening to the verses of that song, I was like, I've never heard this in my life. I don't know what this is. But then once that chorus comes in, it's like, oh, I've heard this 10 million times. And what does that really say about a song when there's there's not a whole lot of memorable stuff about the uh, about the verses there? I don't know. But what I can say is, at 16, Chris Brown was way more successful than I'll ever be. Now, of course, a few years later, he would get into some trouble for, uh, I guess, not only being good at having sex, he's also good at uh, being an abusive piece of shit. So, he was in the news for that. I don't really know what happened to him after that, but uh, a very promising start here. And I do want to mention that since we are rooted at the end of 2005, previous to Run It being the top single for a very long time... We had Kanye West with a little song called Gold Digger at the top of the charts for like ever. So uh, that uh, really sets 2005 up for you. Kanye West, also a, a man <laughs> doing well in 2005, but uh, not, not so much anymore. So that is our top Billboard track. Let's move on for the alternative heads like myself out there. That's right. Uh, we're a little bit different. We're, we're individuals. We don't subscribe to your Billboard Hot 100 bullshit. No way. We're getting on to something a little more underground called the Billboard Alternative Tracks. What do you got for us, Billboard? Yeah, that's an underground band that I like called Foo Fighters. You probably never heard of them before. That's all right. Foo Fighters here with the song DOA from their 2005 album In Your Honor. And the bigger single from that record that you might recognize from the time would be The Best of You, which I definitely remember seeing that video on TV. I don't remember this song so much, although I do recognize it. And I mean, it's it's the Foo Fighters. Uh, now that I'm dropping this stupid fucking underground joke. It's the Foo Fighters. What more could I say about them? It's Davey Grohl rocking out, doing his thing. And to connect this to Aquatine a little bit, if you listened to the Postocalypse episode with Matt Malero, Matt reveals that when he was playing with the band Yearlong Disaster, they opened for the Foo Fighters at some point. So there's your Aquatine connection. Next up, we have our video games, and there's one video game I want to be talking about. This is not a, a, a fresh off the presses video game, but it is still very new, coming out November 8th, so less than a month before Dirtfoot premieres. We have Guitar Hero coming to PlayStation 2, and if you're around my age, you'll remember Guitar Hero everywhere. Everyone had it. And there was suddenly this huge interest, at least in my life and in my friend group, amongst people being interested in music and, and, and wanting to kind of maybe become real musicians, uh, you know, moving on from the Guitar Hero game and things like that. And I think Guitar Hero probably did a lot of good and it really put uh, instrumentation and, and paying a little bit more attention to music at the forefront in a way that not a lot of things really have. I remember playing this at friends' houses. I never had it, but 
uh, you know, I had a real guitar, so I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't too concerned with this. But I would play it at friends' houses and have fun. And seeing those controllers just really <laughs> brings me back to that time. I'm always very thankful to these games, not only for getting more people's mind on music, but also the way that these games work. The artists that have songs on them have to supply basically the stems of their song, which means just the bass track, just the guitar track, just the drum track. And because of that, a lot of people go in and just rip those out. So now you can have just the stems to your favorite songs and you can make remixes from them and things like that. So great. So funny. But yeah, Guitar Hero, something tells me we'll be seeing these games pop up a lot going forward throughout the 2000s. And our question here, would Meatwad like Guitar Hero? You're goddamn right he would. I think Meatwad would love Guitar Hero. And I think his buddy Carl would as well. Our last bit of video game news worth mentioning is that on November 22nd, so just a few weeks before Dirtfoot premieres, we have the Xbox 360 getting released, which of course, Meatwad will never own. But alright, it is December 4th, 2005, and let me tell ya, you are having the time of your life, you are on top of the world, you are over the moon, because... You are the head of your local Madonna fan club, and she is back, baby, dominating the charts. You were right all along. Everyone thought you were silly for supporting her for so long. Let me tell you, you have a close relationship to Madonna. You first heard her with her album Like a Virgin in 1984. Hearing that title track was like getting touched for the very first time. And all these years later, Madonna, she hasn't quite let you down yet. Now, you saw the new Harry Potter film. You thought it was good. It could have used some Madonna, especially now that she has some sort of faux British accent. You're, you're really thinking that she would have helped that film. And uh, you did buy the new Guitar Hero game, just solely hoping that Madonna will be added to it. Now, unfortunately, as time shows us, Madonna never shows up in any Guitar Hero games. But at the time, it wasn't a crazy thought. Madonna's success, it is not only her success but your success. You are living the dream. And what are you putting on to help you get to those dreams and help you fall asleep? You're tuning in late at night to some Adult Swim. Maybe Madonna will be on an episode. Well, unfortunately, uh, she's not. But we do have quite the lineup here, nonetheless. So, of course, being a year out from our last deep dive of the episode Spacegate World... Uh, a lot has changed on Adult Swim. So first up, Adult Swim is now starting an hour earlier. So instead of 11 p.m., it's now starting at 10 p.m. That's crazy, right? I mean, I can't imagine it ever starting earlier than 10 p.m. So let's work our way through this. We're, of course, going to have lots of new shows. So first up at 10 p.m., we have American Dad with Francine's Flashback. American Dad being Seth MacFarlane's new show where, of course, he does voice many of the main characters, but this time it's about Stan and his family, and Stan, he works for the CIA, and it's very much uh, a little bit more politically rooted than Family Guy, just a little bit. But American Dad still on the air all these years later, and it's proven to be a pretty good show. In fact, I know a lot of people that prefer American Dad to Family Guy, but a little bit more of a straightforward show than Family Guy, and uh, yeah, it's a good time. And I think this really shows, you know, when we were doing season two of Aqua Teen, Family Guy just went off the air on Fox, and things weren't looking too hot for Seth MacFarlane, but now, don't worry, Seth, he'll be okay. He's turning it around. He's got two shows now. 
In fact, at this point, Family Guy is back on Fox with its fourth season, and this in part really due to Adult Swim. Like, Adult Swim gave Family Guy this seemingly better audience as well as its DVD sales that allowed it to come back. And if I could share a personal experience, I remember for some reason, right, I can't explain why, I remember being angry that Fox took Family Guy back and they were like deciding to make more episodes. I was like, this is bullshit. Adult Swim is the one that that made Family Guy, you know, relevant. And I don't know why. I was like 10 years old. Why am I getting worked up over this? I couldn't tell you. And on that note, over the summer of 2005, Family Guy actually had a new film, too. Stewie Griffin, The Untold Story. So uh, a much different picture than we saw while covering some of the season two episodes of Aqua Teen. So moving on at 10.30 p.m., we have Family Guy with The Courtship of Stewie's Father, which is a newer episode. It's not new this night, but it is a 2005 episode of Family Guy. So it's cool that Adult Swim at least is getting the new Family Guy stuff alongside Fox that, you know, they weren't completely dumped at the time uh, after bringing, helping bring this show back. Uh, so that's a, a, a relatively new episode of Family Guy. It's not new on this night. But what is new on this night is our 11 p.m. show. It's a show called The Boondocks with a date with the health inspector. So The Boondocks, a very good show, a show I really liked at the time, and this being something completely different for Adult Swim in that it's a black show. I mean, it's, it's black created, lots of, of the cast and crew are, are black, and because of that, it added just this really cool different perspective to Adult Swim that nothing else did. I mean, our William Street shows are made by the same core group of, of white guys, basically, so the, my point is that it's just these very different kinds of stories that we're getting, but Boondocks, I thought, fit very well within the Adult Swim ethos. It was very funny, it could shock you, it had very memorable characters, and this was a, a show that very much stood out to me at the time, and a show that I've come back to over the years. And worth mentioning that the Boondocks started as a comic book strip by its creator, Aaron Magruder, and at the time... Adult Swim had those comic strips up on their site, so they were kind of like putting the comic strips on the site, also while the show was premiering. I should say something cool about the boondocks that it did is it kind of merged the two sides of Adult Swim, in that it was very funny, like our William Street shows, but it also borrowed a lot from anime in its visuals, uh, so kind of bridging the gap between the two, because Adult Swim and still kind of does exist as like comedy and then also anime. And this just really blended those in a really interesting and cool way. Of course, Boondocks is not anime, but I mean, if you've seen the show, you'll understand where I'm coming from with this. A fun connection between the Boondocks and Aqua Teen is up until Boondocks coming to Adult Swim and really just becoming a show, I guess, is that Aqua Teen was the only show consistently on Adult Swim with a hip-hop influence to it, particularly, of course, like the theme song, but throughout the episode. And we see that with the Boondocks, too. It has a hip-hop theme song, and then there are some elements of that throughout the show, similar to Aqua Teen. So, again, that is a new episode, The Boondocks, with a date with the health inspector, a fun episode. At 11.30 p.m., we have Stroker in Hoop with I Saw Stroker Killing Santa, a.k.a. A Cold, Dead, White Christmas. And that is also a brand new episode. So, kind of fun here that this is different from Season 3 of Aqua Teen, that when that was premiering, Aqua Teen was the only new episode that week, while here... Already, we can see that's not the case. And we did talk about Stroker and Hoop on the Season 3 retrospective, so I'm not going to dive into it here. 
Go listen to that if you want to learn more about Stroker and Hoop. So moving on to Midnight here, we have Robot Chicken with Joint Point. And this is not a new episode, but this is our first time touching on Robot Chicken, really. At least our first time getting it in the lineup. And Robot Chicken premiering back in February of 2005. And I very much remember Robot Chicken premiering. I remember the commercials leading up to it. And I would have been 11 years old, so I was very much into kind of stop-motion animation and that whole aesthetic. So I really liked Robot Chicken. I liked that it was making references to other media that was fun, you know, similar to like how Aqua Teen would do or Family Guy would do, but Robot Chicken is based entirely on this. So after Robot Chicken at 12.15 a.m., we get Aqua Teen Hunger Force with this episode, Dirtfoot, the new episode we are discussing today. At 12.30 a.m., we have Perfect Hair Forever with Cat Snatch Fever, also a new episode. So that brings us up to four new episodes on this night. Very exciting. 12.45 a.m., we get Squidbillies with Take This Job and Love It. This being the very second episode of Squidbillies. Of course, we covered the first episode on the Patreon. So this is the second episode. Not a new episode at this point. It actually premiered at the end of October. But, you know, new enough. After Squidbillies, at 1 a.m., we get 12-ounce mouse with Signals. That is Matt Malero's other show that we've talked about a lot, and we will cover at some point on the Patreon. 1.15 a.m., we have a familiar face here. We have C-Lab 2021 with the episode Stimutax. And I should mention, at this point, C-Lab is over. The last episode in Season 4 premiered April 24th, 2005, so... C-Lab been out of production for a large chunk of the year. Yeah, that show is done for. And my understanding is like it kind of got worse as it went on. Like there was a real drop in quality. So not a surprise that it got canceled. I'm sure nobody was really surprised by that. But yeah, kind of nice to see a familiar face here in our lineup because it's mostly new shows we haven't talked about yet. And then after that, at 1.30 a.m., we have a really bizarre pick here. We have Welcome to Eltingville, Bring Me the Head of Boba Fett. Of course, that being the only episode of Welcome to Eltingville. We covered that episode back in the MCP Pants coverage because Welcome to Eltingville got its pilot back in 2002. And, you know, we saw it a couple times in our lineup. And now it's like surprising, like, really? They're showing that in 2005? But I, I feel like in around 2005, nerd culture kind of started to pick up in a way. And maybe that's why they decided to bring this back, because Welcome to Eltingville, a kind of kind of a nerdy thing, and I think uh, maybe they decided people would appreciate it more. Not really sure there, but that is our lineup this night. American Dad, Family Guy, The Boondocks, Stroker and Hoop, Robot Chicken, Aqua Teen, Perfect Hair Forever, Squidbillies, 12 Ounce Mouse, C-Lab 2021, and Welcome to Eltingville. Uh, a fun brand new lineup, you know, it's not all our classic William Street shows like we had been getting and to be honest with you, seeing this lineup, this is the Adult Swim that I remember the most. Uh, maybe a little bit later after this, but like a lot of these shows, just seeing these titles kind of brings me back in a way that our previous lineups, I was a little bit too young for. Now, I was watching around those times, but I have more of a response to a lot of these shows than an earlier Adult Swim lineup would give me. So excited to keep going through it. But you know what I'm more excited about? To talk about Dirtfoot, what are we doing here? Let's go talk about it. Check it out. 
All right, now this is the part of the podcast where I tell you about uh, the Patreon, which is how this podcast is funded. Now, if you will excuse me, it's been a little while since we've done a deep dive, so I'm not really uh, in the groove of, of doing these. So uh, let me try and get into it here for a second. Um, give me your fucking money! No, that's, that's too aggressive. Um, let me try this. Let me take it in a different direction. I don't, I don't care. Sign up. I don't, I don't give a shit. I don't care if you sign up or not. No, that's not really it. All right, whatever. Let me let me keep working on it. Hopefully next week's will be better. In the meantime, though, we have a quote unquote assload of of shout outs that are backed up that that we need to get to. You know, you don't have to take my stupid word for why you should sign up. Why don't you listen uh, to some of your fellow listeners who did sign up and say, wow, if they're doing it, then I got to do it too. Mom, where's the credit card? First up, I want to thank Shinsuke for using Mom's credit card to sign up at the number one in the Hoji tier back in May. Unfortunately, Mom seems to have changed the credit card number because Shinsuke is no longer, unfortunately, signed up at that tier. But I did very much appreciate that donation. We also have, signing on for the first time back in June, we had Eric signing up. Eric B to the duffel bag of cash $5 tier. I reached out to Eric here asking for their history with Aqua Teen. Eric said, When I was a kid, I'd stay up late and watch some Aqua Teen. Brack Show, C-Lab, and Space Ghost. I mean, Eric, I'm sure Harvey Birdman is crying, weeping over there in the corner. It's alright though, Eric. I didn't really like Harvey Birdman back then, too. Eric says, I remember seeing Video Ouija. Uh, so do I, Eric. Great episode. And the one with Moth Monster Man. Also, years later, I saw the Creditor episode of Aqua Unit Patrol Squad 1 live. So Eric caught that episode on TV. I was not watching Aqua Teen on TV at that point. I mean, probably because we didn't have cable. That was the main reason I wouldn't be watching Adult Swim. But you know what? Thanks to the supporters like Shinsuke and Eric, my cable-free days... Well, they are over because no one's paying for cable, but I can watch Aqua Teen whenever I want. Coming up next, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Dirtfoot premiering December 4th, 2005 with a TV14DL rating for suggestive dialogue and language. And I can't argue with that once we get into the episode. But, you know, this episode, it's, it has some kind of crude elements, but it doesn't go overboard or anything like that. It's still very much rooted in Aqua Teen and Space Ghost's trademark Dadaist style. So excited to dive into this one because of that. So, getting into the voice cast on this one, we have a bit of an extended cast. In fact, this is the biggest cast listing on a first episode of a season yet. However, three of these extra cast members are in the very beginning. So, of course, we have Carrie Means, Dave Willis, Dana Snyder on this episode. But at the beginning, we opened in on a fake show, and we have Ken Osborne playing the announcer, Lala Cochran playing the woman, and then... George Lowe, a.k.a. Space Ghost himself, playing the the titular character of Bruno Sardine in this fake show. So three of them up front in this little fake thing, which we will address as soon as we jump into the episode. But we also have a very great cameo by Dave Willis's granny herself, Billie Jean Reeves, showing up in just a very, very hilarious scene that just puts a beautiful bow on the end of this episode. And then we have our friend Nick Inkatanawat doing the voice of Dirtfoot, the villain in this one. 
So to mention our editor on this one, of course, the editor of an episode of Aqua Teen kind of acting like the director blocking the scene out and and putting the scene together. We have Phil Sampson. He is the only editor here. And this is kind of a trend we're going to see throughout season four of having just one editor listed on an episode, which is not something that we've been getting lately. Lately, at least in terms of season three, we've had basically all of the editors, or at least most of them, touching each episode. But that's not the case on this episode and a few more going forward. So we have just Phil Samson here. And like I said at the beginning, Phil hooked us up with a rough cut of this episode. Now, there isn't a whole lot visually going on. A lot of the times the screen is just blank. But there are some minor dialogue differences that are very interesting. So we will be addressing those as we go through this. Very, very thankful to Phil here because I just asked him a simple question on Twitter. I've never spoken to Phil before, but I reached out to him with one question and he's like, you know what, man, I think I have all this stuff. I I could look for it and send it to you. So yeah, he sent me here a rough cut of the episode, which is just a, a treat to see. And of course, very fun for us to go through. Before we go on, there is something that I do need to mention, though. So, you may have picked up, this episode debuted December 4th, 2005, which means it's the end of the year, and we're only going to see two other episodes, really, that debut in 2005. The next one, Boost Mobile, and then after that, we get the the deleted scenes episode, basically, from Colin Movie Film. And then the rest of the season won't premiere until towards the end of 2006, And the reason for that is, I kind of said, you know, I gave a hint there, colon movie film. They were working on that film at the same time, basically. So, of course, that really impeded a normal season of Aqua Teen because the team was working on the film. And then also what kind of plays into that was what we talked about earlier. Matt and Dave had other shows at this point. So as opposed to previous years when they were mainly focusing, at least that's my understanding, they were mainly just focusing on Aqua Teen, you know, no movies, no other shows other than, you know, maybe some smaller capacities. Uh, that's not the case here. So I th- that's really why we only have a couple episodes coming out in 2005. So, with that having been said, let's jump in to one of our few 2005 episodes. Of course, we have our normal intro, but the thing is here, there's no cold open. Season 1 and 2 had Dr. Weird, Season 3 had Space Kataz, now we're done with cold opens, really. Now, there's the odd one here or there, but for the most part, yeah, that's it. It, You know, you turn on this episode, or if you were tuning in at the time... You were greeted with just the intro. So after the intro, we move into... We see the Aqua Teens TV, and it's dark in the room. And they're watching a show called Bruno Sardine, Private Investigator. So we see the title card there. It's like a sardine that says Bruno Sardine. Then it says Private Investigator. And then there's two magnifying glasses that are supposed to be like the breasts that he is investigating. And then we go into the show, and we have two characters standing in a room not dissimilar to the Aqua Teens house. It has the wood paneling with, you know, the uh, dings in the wall and things like that. So uh, maybe kind of reusing the Aqua Teen texture here in the background. It's not the same room, but it looks very similar. And we have just a, kind of a nondescript blonde, uh, attractive woman standing there. And then we have George Lowe, his, his character model that looks like the man George Lowe. And he's standing there. 
And then what happens is out of nowhere, the woman's shirt or really her clothes disappear, but we only see her from the back. And then George Lowe, who at this point is firmly rooted as a middle-aged man who is not in the best shape. He's not in horrible shape, but not the best shape. His uh, trench coat and detective's hat disappears as well, and they are both completely nude. And then we get this great reveal of we see who's watching this. It's Meatwad and Shake, Shake sitting on his green chair. Meatwad on the ground next to him. They're both smiling. The glow from the TV kissing their faces here as they watch it in the dark. But the great thing is, is that they're sitting there in the dark, and they're holding hands. Next week on Bruno Sardine, Private Investigator. Oh, baby. You were stung by a bee. I know. And it hurts. Oh, no, Bruno. Oh, my. My top magically came off. That's next week on Bruno Sardine, Private Investigator. So we had George Lowe with it, just his fingers out. There's a little bump on it. You know, oh, you got stung by a bee. This is like the dumbest show in the world. And before we get to the voice actors, I want to address the visuals here because I actually missed something. So we get a shot of Shake saying, oh, my, before, you know, things start to get spicier in the episode. And then we see that Shake and Meatwater are holding hands because they weren't holding hands when Shake said, oh, my. So I have to assume... <laughs> That Meatwad reached up to hold Shake's hand as the sexual elements really started to take off in the episode? I'm not really sure here. I didn't really catch that until now, so that's a shocking development here. But don't worry, we'll get back to that. I love that they're just sitting here in the dark holding hands watching TV. Because, you know, you have Shake always physically abusing Meatwad. I mean, definitely always verbally abusing him. But you can see here that they're kind of buddies too. They're, they're friendly. They're hanging out together. If I could touch on the music very quickly that we heard there during the private investigator program, the track is called Sub Aqua Boogie, and it was composed by Boom Boom Room. So that is the production music here. We hear it in Dirtfoot, and we will hear it again in a future episode. So let's address these voice actors, because we had three very quickly, and we don't normally get that. You know, anytime we get a, a new voice actor on Aqua Teen is a bit of a celebration. So first up, we hear the announcer there, who is Ken Osborne, who I would like to mention is, his name is misspelled in the credits. His last name is spelled as O-S-B-O-R-N, but his name is actually spelled O-S-B-O-U-R-N. So I reached out to Ken because this was his only credit on Aqua Teen. However, he did do some stuff on Space Ghost in the 90s. So I reached out to Ken just wondering if he remembered anything about doing this. And Ken responded to me saying that he actually didn't even remember doing this line for the show. And in fact, he wasn't even familiar with it. Like, I kind of got the impression this was his first time ever hearing about Aqua Teen Hunger Force. But he did confirm he did work on Space Ghost. So I think it's safe to assume this is the same guy because I listened to his demo reels. He sounds just like the guy in the episode. And he worked on Space Ghost, which, of course, many episodes were written by the Aqua Teen guys, Matt and Dave, and worked on by other guys who worked on Aqua Teen. So I found that surprising. And in fact, this kind of made me wonder if they did this line, if they did this, this skit, for Space Ghost, because Ken had worked on Space Ghost in the 90s, and George Lowe, of course, in that clip, is Space Ghost. However, I asked Dave, he didn't really remember, but Phil Sampson confirmed this was recorded for Aqua Teen. This was intended 
for this episode. So Ken Osborne, you could hear his voice, right? He's just a, an announcerly man. He does those kinds of things for, for Turner, for other networks as well. To move on to Lala, Lala Cochran, she is an Atlanta actor. She was in an episode of The Wonderful World of Disney in 1997. This is her only Aqua Teen appearance here, but she did show up later in an episode of Squidbillies. And Dave knows Lala, so I have to assume that's how she got involved. I did reach out to her to get more information, but as far as I could tell, she hasn't seen any of the messages I sent her on Instagram or Facebook. So uh, until then, who knows? But I'm seeing she does a lot of stuff with the Horizon Theater Company. So if you're ever in Atlanta... Look her up. So that was Lala playing the woman. Then, of course, we had George Lowe, and we know all about George Lowe. He plays, again, Space Ghost, which is, you know, Aqua Teen's dad, for lack of a better term, Space Ghost Coast to Coast, because uh, without that show, Aqua Teen and a bunch of other shows and Adult Swim in general would not exist. So Dave told me when we were talking about this one that they would always try and find little spots to put George in. I mean, we've seen him a couple times already throughout Aqua Teen, like in season one, episode 17's Mail Order Bride. He shows up there as a, as a wedding DJ. He is the Standards and Practices host in season three, episode four's G-Wiz. That whole segment is George Lowe. And then he does a ton more appearances throughout Aqua Teen going forward. In fact, this isn't even the last time that we see Bruno Sardine, so get ready for that. So there you have it, a fun little just show that they're watching, but this kind of serves as the classic cold open, because, you know, what Dr. Weird meant to do would be initially to influence the episode for something to happen, and that is very much what this is serving the purpose of, because Shake saw that, and now he's going to want to basically uh, get nude with another woman. That's going to be his conquest throughout this entire episode. So this is a very funny skit, but it does serve a purpose for the episode, and we will see that going forward. So that's going to happen right now, because what's going to happen is Frylock's going to come in the room, turn the lights on. He's not going to like that they're watching this. And then Shake's going to pull out a katana because, well, if Bruno Sardine gets hurt and then he gets laid, it should work for Shake, right? Shut that crap off. But this is Bruno Sardine. I know who it is, Shake, the porno detective who keeps hurting himself so he can get laid. Here, cut me in half, quick. No, Shake. But her top came off, magically. <laughs> cut me in half, quick. Shake's so desperate now after seeing something on TV here. You know, Shake, he's like, cut me in half. He doesn't care if he dies, like, trying to do this. He, he just wants to get nude with a woman. But who am I to laugh at him? I mean, uh, we've all been there. I actually had to cut myself in half twice with a double-handed enchanted broadsword just for my wife to even look at me the first time. Shake's not the only one noticing uh, the, uh, the spicy elements of this television show. We're going to cut to Meatwad now, who's literally going to be kind of doing his best to stand up higher to look at the TV because... He's got some questions about what he's seeing. What are those things? I want to get some. It's just TV, okay? <laughs> TV! Look, I am perfectly aware of the difference between the TV and the flesh world we live in, like from Videodrome, right? You seen it? Fardock, what is it to load someone? It's got blondie. Huh, let me tell you where she ain't a blonde. Go to bed! I will! With women. So, uh, again, we're getting the seeds implanted in Shake's mind, and I just love absolutely love 
Meatwad here just asking these questions like a kid, like, what is that? Like, he, he recognizes it's something that he's, like, unfamiliar with, but also interested in, and he's going to bring it up. Of course, now, I mean, this is Aqua Teen, so we're not really expecting continuity, but, like, an episode like season three episode 10's dusty gazangas meatwad references uh dusty's busty nature so he's not like dumb to this uh in every episode but here i just love that they're playing him this way it's so goddamn funny to me so shake references the 1983 sci-fi film videodrome in the episode this is a david cronenberg film starring james woods and debbie harry debbie harry also the singer of the very famous band blondie if you're unfamiliar david cronenberg his next film after videodrome was a little film called the fly which of course has been uh, slightly referenced throughout aquatine but back to Videodrome, it really focuses in on television and our relationship to it, ultimately, and like the violence we see on television, how that affects us, and that kind of thing. I sat down to try and watch the film, and I just, I couldn't make it through, because at the beginning, they keep showing this naked woman just getting beat the shit out of and like whipped and stuff, and they keep going back to it. And I understand why they're doing that, but for me, it's like... I can't get into this. Like, I'm trying to chill out, and this isn't what I quite want to see. I don't dispute uh, that Videodrome is a great film, and I understand its points, but uh, I guess that's just not my thing. Like, like when I come home from work and my wife's like, hey, let's watch The Last of Us, which undoubtedly is a great show, at least I think from what I've seen of it. The acting is great. The effects are great. I just thought it was really good, but it's so goddamn depressing that it's like, it's hard for me to... uh to want to chill out and watch stuff like that. That's why I'm watching through this silly show I watched as a kid about talking fast food products. So couldn't get the inside scoop on Videodrome for you, but it doesn't take much to understand what Shake is referencing with that name drop. From there, we have a very, very short clip. So we know what is on Shake's mind. He's thinking about them nude women, and that is reflected in our next very short scene, where we see Shake looking at the Butt Frenzy magazine from Season 2, Episode 9's The Meat Zone, the infamous magazine here. And so Shake's looking at that. But the interesting thing is, it's nighttime, right? It's still nighttime. It's the same time period. He's laying in Frylock's bed. And that is so funny to me, because obviously what happened was... Well, Shake doesn't have a bed, so they had to have him laying somewhere looking at this. I don't know why they didn't have him just looking at it in uh, in his chair. You know, that, that would have made enough sense. But for whatever reason, they have him in Frylock's room, laying on Frylock's bed, looking at this magazine. Where's Frylock? It doesn't really make sense because, you know, you think Meatwad and Frylock went to bed in, in the previous clip. But whatever, that's what's going on here. I also should mention that there is just a treasure trove of porno mags all over Frylock's room, and it, it's it's funny, it looks to be like the same pile everywhere. We see the same image on top of, of all of them, it's pretty funny. Uh, so yeah, don't know the story behind this, I can't anticipate these are Frylock's magazines. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but uh, Shake's having a good time, that's the point. We also get some Schoolie D music. Two, so you heard that music the interesting thing is in phil's rough cut there's actually different music there let's give it a listen 
both things I'm pretty sure that we've heard in the show before. So like the actual Schooly D clip, I don't anticipate was made for this episode. I mean, it's not like Schooly is talking about whatever's going on here. He's not mocking Shake for, I guess, kicking Frylock out of his room to look at porn magazines. Uh, regardless, just a small transition there. And we see this is just festering in Shake's mind. And it's going to really be coming out in a big way. So it's the next day, we see Frylock moving through the house. We actually have an outside shot, so we see him through the window, but also there's something funky going on with the window because it's broken and there are power cables coming out from inside the Aqua Teen's house through the window outside to a well that is now in the Aqua Teen's yard that's never been there before. It, it, it's actually like this old kind of construction well. It does not seem possible that this was constructed overnight but the thing that I love about Aqua Teen is seemingly it was, because that's kind of what's going on here. It's just there, and the well is surrounded by some familiar assets. We have headshots of Shake, these being the exact same headshots that we saw in Season 1, Episode 11's Bad Replicant. In that episode, we have the Plutonians trying to replicate Shake, and they're looking at his headshot... It's the same one here. So it's it's Shake with a sweater on. It's a black and white photo. It's very funny because it looks pretty dang realistic of <laughs> what a lame kind of headshot like this would look like. So Frylock is going to notice this and he's going to hear there's some loud music coming from the well. And Frylock is going to address it. Shake. Shake. What, what the hell? <laughs> Yo, Shake. <laughs> we never get a well. What are you doing down there? <laughs> Where's the women? So that's Shake saying, I went to get some water for the village. I must have slipped and blacked out. Where's the women? But the thing is, I mean, you could hear, even if you didn't, even never seen this episode before. Shake went from being very hard to hear to being right in the scene. He crawled up the well, said, yeah, I'm stuck down here. Where's the... <laughs> Where's the women? So this is his idea. Instead of cutting himself in half with the katana, he's just going to be stuck down in a well and somehow that's going to get him women. Beyond that, beyond the fact that he's clearly not stuck, we also see there's power cables going down there. So he's got sorts of luxury down there, including a kick and sound system. So what's going on there, you might actually miss this, is that Shake is singing along to the music, but it's so reverberated and also just low in the mix, you can't quite make it out. But in Phil Sampson's rough cut, you can hear it clear as day. Shake, what what the hell? Yo, Shake! Help! Is that you, Frylock? Oh, wait, uh... So you really hear the singing a bit more clearly there. Very fun. I'm not even sure if I recognized he was singing uh, without hearing that, just because it is so low. So let's jump back into our scene here. Again, Shake is at the top of the well. He's looking out at the guys, talking to them, and they're kind of just wondering what's going on. Where the hell did they get this well? Where did this well come from? That's right. Where the hell did we get this well? Meanwhile, you watch your mouth. <laughs> come on. The old abandoned well? <laughs> Read the press release. Man falls down old abandoned well. That's right, uh. 
Uh, it's what? only a limited number of those, so, uh, you know, put it back when you're done. Oh, I am done. <laughs> and so is my dinner. Something smells like chill. <laughs> He's right. For the first time in his mealy friggin' little life, turns out there's an old abandoned microwave where I got stuck with chili and food. <laughs> Couple magazines. So call Channel 5, get them broads over here, and tell them about the tragedy of my trappedness. Work into it, though. Build it up. Turn this ass monkey on. Full blast. Will you quit saying ass? I just asked you to do something for Meatwad, me. Meatwad, you watch your mouth. I said ask. Blast hole. <laughs> so that is Meatwad. He's holding the hose up to the well. He's going to drown Shake out. So I love it. This is pure master Shake here where he's pretending to be stuck, and then you hear all the luxury that he has, and he's doing fine, and it's really just inspiring that he could pull this off so quickly. Like, Shake is very capable when he puts uh, what little mind he has to it, but that's not very often, of course. So you heard Shake had a bit of a press release that is written on the back of his headshot that Frylock was reading off of. So first up, I want to address what Meatwad is doing, because Meatwad, he's saying hell, he's saying ass, and he's really trying to get on Frylock's, not nerves, but he keeps like, he's like, hey, Frylock, then he'll say a swear that he knows he's going to get yelled at for. And that reminds me of ways that they've used Meatwad in the past. They have him do this from time to time. I'm reminded of season two, episode 12's Total Recarl, when Meatwad keeps saying, he's trying to say the F-bomb, he's saying fart and things like that. He's trying to figure out the F-bomb, even though Frylock keeps yelling at him. And he does it again here, too. And I want to be clear, as always, I'm not complaining about this. I'm not saying, oh, they're using the same idea. Like, I love when they do this. I love when they have these little in-episode jokes that really only last for the episode, and then they don't address it either again or for a very long time. It's very fun. So another example of that might be Meatwad going off the rails in Season 2, Episode 6's Super Spore with Travis of the Cosmos, who of course is a potty mouth. I mean, you can't blame him. He's learning the English language from Carl's dating tapes, which are very vulgar. But Meatwad goes off in a, in a string of swears too, ending up in a timeout with Travis of the Cosmos. So same idea here. And in that clip, Meatwad said blast hole, but in Phil Samson's rough cuts... He says a different word. You do something for Meatwad, me. Meatwad, you watch your mouth. I said ask. Asshole. So Meatwad's saying asshole here, which isn't new. He did that in season three. That They said asshole a decent amount of times in season three. But I want you to pay attention going forward that there are instances of asshole either being, in this case, changed or in upcoming cases, censored. So I'm not really sure why that is. It is interesting that in season three, they said asshole a few times, but now here in season four, over a year later, they're they're back to censoring it. I'm not quite sure why that is. Adult Swim is definitely trended in a, a raunchier direction. And so it's, got, it's kind of interesting here. I'm not sure why this episode had to be edited or, or rather censored. So... The last thing I want to address here is <laughs> Shake's food is done, so he goes down to get it, comes back up. He has a bowl of chili, but we've actually seen this bowl before. Back in Season 2, Episode 5, Supermodel, we had Shake, after all of his plastic surgery gets reversed, Meatwad is feeding him tomato soup, and this is the exact same asset. It's the same bowl. They're just using it here as chili, which, of course, it also passes for. So, fun to see that little bowl pop back up again, and just an example of how much they recycled and, and reused on this show. I feel like we should put these William Street guys in charge of, like, 
some government recycling program. I think they do a good job. So moving ahead here, it is now nighttime, and Shake is down in the well, and you can hear he has a TV blaring down there. He's laughing, watching TV, and Meatwad's even going to get jealous, but then Frylock's going to put an end to it by unplugging Shake's uh, power cords, his extension cords he has running through the broken window. I love that he didn't open the window, he just broke through it (laughs) to uh, plug these in, but Frylock, he's not having it anymore. Tessel Jefferson's. I want to go get trapped where he does. No, Meatwad. Nobody's getting trapped, okay? Hey, oh, oh, oh. what are you doing? <laughs> I just love that Shake. I mean, I know this is this is the joke, so I'm just explaining it over and over again. But that he's supposed to be trapped, and he effortlessly and instantly just crawls up to the top of the well to talk to them. It's so goddamn funny to me. But poor Meatwad. Like, I want to get trapped where he's trapped. And uh, I got a shout out here, the Jeffersons. This is not our first Jeffersons reference in Aqua Teen. Of course, we had season two, episode 19's Frat Aliens. Carl has the laser fence and we have, uh, you know, meat wads trying to dig underneath it so they could use his pool while Shake is sitting there watching the Jeffersons while Meatwad is doing all the physical labor. But I do want to mention a similarity to other episodes which is Shake plugging his stuff into other people's outlets. Now, I know this is his house, but, like, he kind of, in a way, is not living there right now. So he, you know, plugs into the Aqua Teen's house while he is living in what we'll see is kind of a much nicer setup. But, of course, I'm reminded of the third episode of Aqua Teen, Bus of the Undead, with the Shake signal. Shake plugs that into Carl's house, and then in Season 2, Episode 8, the episode Super Squatter... Shake basically, instead of paying the electricity bill, he plugs all these extension cords into Carl's house for the Aqua Teen's appliances. So I love that running theme with Shake of he's always just mooching off of other people's electricity. In this case, it's a little bit more understandable because it's his own house, but it's like he's making, uh, assumedly, Frylock pay this bill when uh, Shake is living it up in the well. And spoilers, uh, he has a roommate too, so I'm not really sure how that's working out with the electricity bill. Shake is going to get angry, though. His electricity has been shut off. Now being stuck in the well isn't so grand. So he's going to come up into the Aqua Teen's house, and he's going to have a, a, a severed but also seemingly broken human leg just taped to him, and that's supposed to be his broken leg. Like, oh, I broke my leg in the well. Of course, Shake doesn't have legs, and we only really see this leg for one shot. I don't think we've ever seen it in the show before, and then it's just gone randomly. Like, it's, it's not explained or anything. So we see it quickly for the gag. He has his chili with him, and then Meatwad is going to end up just throwing it at Shake in the scene. The bowl, of course, is going to explode, so you'll hear that. And Meatwad, he's acting out. He's being a real bad boy. I am in a race against time down there <laughs> with a shattered leg. And did this look shattered? It's got to look shattered. Hey, go back down there. I'm going to dump this soup on Wait, you. Wait, <laughs> who? I'm getting cross-signal. Ow! Oh, I didn't. <laughs> Remove the tone. Because that's awful. That was a good one. So, uh, what else you Earth dwellers doing up here <laughs> on the surface? Living large, boy. <laughs> Living so large. Just gonna have dinner. But since, you know, it's on your face and all. Oh, I did not! 
Meanwhile. So meanwhile, he's being a fucking demon here. He's just trying to uh, be a naughty guy, and he's succeeding, let me tell you. Before we go on, I do want to play a clip from Phil Sampson's rough cut of the episode that wasn't included here. Basically, right before Meatwad throws the, the chili at Shake, uh, Shake has an additional line there of why he suspects that Meatwad won't do such a thing, which, of course, he ends up doing anyways. Go back down there. I'm going to dump this soup on you. Wee, who? I'm getting crash signals here. I thought you were my media director. So... Shake was going to say, I thought you were my media director to meet Wad, like he was supposed to be in on this whole scheme of, you know, getting the media involved, but they cut that line from the episode. So, some fun dialogue here. I'm really loving this episode so far. The dialogue is just like every word, basically, just is perfect and just keeps moving things forward. And I want to address... The visuals of Shake with the chili on his face. I keep wanting to say uh, soup because <laughs> that's what it was the first time we saw this. But this time it's chili, even though it looks a hell of a lot like soup. And Miwat throws this at Shake, and Shake has this kind of splatter effect on his face. And I know we've seen it before. This time it's red. I feel like before it was a different color, but I couldn't find it. But I feel like we've seen Shake with this splatter effect on his face at some point. Moving forward, though, surprisingly, Shake is going to invite the guys to check out the old abandoned well and its many modern accessories <laughs> and comforts. Hey, we could heat this up in the old abandoned microwave. <laughs> I could use some help wiring the old abandoned surround sound system. <laughs> I got the old abandoned bad boys box set. <laughs> huh? Huh? What about water, Shake? Any water in that well? Bottled. <laughs> oh, yeah, and uh, the old abandoned hot tub. Hot tub? Damn. What, what else you got down there? <laughs> tons and tons of rubbers. Come on, I'll show you. <laughs> so, Shake, he's ready for the uh, infestation of women, uh, attractive hot women, who are there for him when they find out that he's trapped down there uh, in the old abandoned well with the old abandoned hot tub, the old abandoned microwave. You get the idea. So we're going to go outside now to the well, and he's going to bring them down. And before I say anything, I need to mention it's inexplicably just daytime now. It doesn't make sense because it was nighttime in the previous scene. Shake said, come on. They seemingly just followed him outside, and now it's just like straight up daytime. So not really sure what the story there is. But what's going to happen is to get down into the well, Shake, he knows how to maneuver it. He's a pro at this point. And I'm surprised that he is actually going to be nicer to Frylock and Meatwad here. Uh, but I guess in a way, he's probably just showing off. My point is, the old abandoned well, it's got the old abandoned elevator. What do you expect? So this giant cylindrical elevator is going to rise up from the well, and it's going to fucking break like the top. You know, wells have a cover to keep, uh, you know, leaves and things like that from falling into the well, which is normally a water source, obviously. In this case, it's not. But that's just going to break off. You'll hear it, and it's this very, very great scene. What do I, just sort of fall down in there? Or? Yeah, we fall into the old abandoned well, right? <laughs> Come on. We take the elevator. <laughs> Thing takes forever. <laughs> so what's going on? <laughs> Anything? <laughs> you, you take the handicap ramp because you handicapped <laughs> me, in a, mentally. 
You're a sissy. You're the sissy, no, no, you round stupid! And round. What is this robber's no, line? No, you no, mean no, no, no. Calm down and get your ass in here. <laughs> Meet one is just so aggressive in this episode. It's I, I love it. It's great. Um, I remember as a kid seeing that scene and laughing probably just as hard as I laugh now, if not harder, because it is so ridiculous, the visual of that slow thing. So you have it, like, destroying the well in the process, but then also shake having to make, like, small talk while they're waiting for it. If you've ever been at an elevator in that situation, uh, you know what it's like. I used to work at a hospital with, you know, I mean, an elevator. I guess that's not a surprise, but I would have to take the elevator multiple times a day, and you run into that where you're, like, pressing the button, just waiting, waiting next to somebody awkwardly, like, yeah, how's it, how's it going, that kind of thing. So I love to see that reflected here, these uh, mundane human experiences in this ridiculous world of Aqua Teen with everything that's going on in this scene. And also, on top of that, you have Meatwad repeating his live in large thing. And, I mean, I know so many people like that. Not saying live in large, but, you know, you see a coworker and it's just, you know, the same thing. Like, oh, another day, another dollar or something. And I'm not knocking that behavior. It's just funny to see that here where people just, you know, repeat the kind of uh, default uh, small talk statement. I do like Meatwad's live in large, though. I think when people ask me, you know, how's it going at work or whatever, I gotta borrow that. I think Meatwad's onto something. And then I'll probably try and start to fight the person who asked me that, like Meatwad did. I'm learning a lot of lessons from this episode. We're gonna get a fun gag in our next clip now. So we are inside the elevator, and it's like, you know, again, cylindrical. But the cool thing is here, we get one of, if not the first real kind of 3D shot in Aquatine. So we have basically this cool kind of pan around where Meatwad jumps up in the air and the camera pans kind of around him. He's spinning around kind of thing. And it's really an action shot where Meatwad's just going to press all the buttons on the elevator control panel. And there are many. Looking at it, there are 20 floors and a basement, or at least there are buttons for them. Meatwad's going to press them all seemingly to try and troll the guys. Meatwad is just being a huge troll this episode. But we're going to get a fun kind of twist on that of, well, there's only one floor because it just goes right to the well, so it's not really a big deal. So it's this whole kind of long lead-up of Meatwad doing this. It's very dramatic, and then it really doesn't amount to anything. What what floor? All of them? <laughs> <laughs> See, I fooled you. (laughs) There's only one floor. Just a very, very silly scene. But cool to see that, you know, kind of 3D shot. I mean, up until this point, that this is really the most complicated shot in Aquatine. I I can't think of anything else that would that would eclipse this. But when we get to the bottom of the well, the door opens, the guys walk out, and we see what looks like a very modern home or apartment. It looks nice. Stainless steel appliances. The place is way nicer than the Aqua Teen's house, except you can't help but notice giant dirt footprints all over the place. So we have a very short clip next, just shake kind of, uh, you know, pretending to be stuck in the refrigerator, the old abandoned ice maker. We can see that there is an air hockey table here by the kitchen, but there are a bunch of dirty plates and cups and such on the air hockey table. And in the background, we have a a poster of a woman 
and we see her from the front and then from the back. And the one from the front, it just says beer on the side. And I feel like we've seen this poster on the show before. I couldn't quite recall where. But of course, these being assets done by Bob Pettit, just like the background itself is. And again, it's this big mystery of what are these footprints? It's a very strange kind of scene. So, what do you think? Think I ought to make it like uh, my hand is trapped in the old abandoned ice maker? You like this? <laughs> Brushed metal. Brushed metal. He's got stainless steel in that motherfucker down there. And I really want to point out, I love that Bob did this. I really want to point out the double ovens that they have. In what universe does Shake need double ovens? I can't imagine him ever even using one oven, but hey, he's got two as an option here in case he ever decides he's uh, making a bunch of food. But I think as long as the old abandoned microwave works, then uh, the old abandoned double ovens are not going to be touched. So we're going to learn that Shake, he's not living down here by himself, and there is a reason for all those dirt footprints all over the place, because we are going to see the legendary dirt foot. And visually, this creature is just a mop of hair, kind of like Cousin It from the Adams Family, with one giant foot with dirt on the bottom. The foot, you know, has long toenails. Uh, dirt foot here has one eye. And then his his mouth is he has like a frown and he has a bit of an underbite because he has two kind of uh, teeth sticking out on the bottom there. Similar to Meatwad has the one tooth on top. Dirtfoot, he has two teeth on the bottom. And we will see the full extent of how messy that this house is and that the kitchen area, the sink is just filled with a bunch of dirty dishes. There's so many dirty dishes here. It's unbelievable. I'm, I don't even know how they have this many dishes too dirty up. Maybe they're just buying more as they get dirty. But we see Dirtfoot chilling on the couch as well by watching TV. In front of the TV, there is a game controller. It looks like it's supposed to be for maybe an Xbox. It's, it's not like a one-to-one -one thing, but I don't know. I could be wrong about this. Um, on the wall, we see like a, uh, a stuffed boar's head. We see a red spud on tap sign, which of course we first saw this asset back in season two, episode nine, super trivia at the bar. And we see like a, a hot rod poster that says street muscle. Um, some of these things I know we've seen before. I just can't quite place them. But also on the couch, which will be referenced, is Dirtfoot's giant sock. It's dirty and it's just draped over there. Gross. Well, who's this old boy? Uh, that's my roommate. <laughs> More like doom mate. Wait a minute. That's the legendary dirt monster Dirtfoot. Shh, don't don't even look at him. No. <laughs> For real? The Dirtfoot. Yeah. Hey, it was real nice of you not to rinse your bulls off in the sink, Dirtfoot. That's real legendary of you. I always thought Dirtfoot was just a hoax. Me too. Oh, no, he is real. He's very real. And he likes to leave his very real giant sock draped over the couch like it was a friggin' afghan so that others can enjoy the very real odor of his 2,000-year-old foot sweat. That is Shake kicking the couch that Dirtfoot is chilling out on. I love that they're just talking about this guy so openly. And Shake is not afraid to really stand up to him as, as being a shitty roommate. And that is a topic that is touched on in Aqua Teen quite a bit. The whole crappy roommate aspect. I mean, really, it's kind of throughout the entire show, but notably uh, Season 1, Episode 7's Old Drippy. I mean, that episode is 
has some similarities and that old drippy forms because shake won't clean the kitchen now here we are years later shake is complaining at his roommate for not cleaning the kitchen so uh i I guess that's master shake's character arc in a way but we see that so much in aqua teen and it's kind of fun to see that reversed here and i just love the absurdity first of all that there's this whole house down here right i mean this whole episode is just absurdity on absurdities but the fact that Shake needs a roommate, I mean, or was was Dirtfoot down here first? Like, it doesn't really make sense. It's so funny. It raises so many questions. And I just love how this show presents this just ridiculous reality, but nobody really questions anything. They just go along with it. It's so fun. So let's take a second here to back up. I want to address the red spud beer sign and i reached out to bob pettit for this of course bob doing again the props and the backgrounds on the show and you could find bob on twitter at pettit underscore art link in the show notes he posts all sorts of aqua teen goodies there and he recently did a giveaway so make sure you're checking bob out and i reached out to bob asking kind of why he ended up sticking with Red Spud, because we will see going forward. We first saw it back again in, in, in Super Trivia in Season 2, but we see the sign again here, and we'll see it more going forward, especially as the show goes into HD next season. And that is, Bob has created so many different beer brands for Aqua Teen. Now, we've seen just the generic light beer cans or just beer cans, but of course, Bob has created other brands in Aqua Teen, such as Gurn Beer, which we saw back in Old Drippy, Or, again, in Super Trivia, we saw another sign for a beer called Outlaw Light. And Bob even had a slogan for that, which he said in the commentary on that episode, which was, Too hefty for your Harley? It's Outlaw Light. So the idea for Outlaw Light was to be this kind of, like, you know, marketing light beer towards tough guys. And Bob actually said he really liked Outlaw Light and he hoped it would become the Duff beer of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. At the time, Bob had been reading about Miller's marketing challenges back in the 70s and 80s to convince manly men to drink a light beer. So the answer to that was to use ex-athletes and other tough guys to pitch it to, to other men like, hey, I'm a tough guy, I drink this light beer, so can you. So Bob was thinking that Outlaw Light would be funny in that regard, especially because it would be you know tailored towards uh, motorcycle guys, you know, Hell's Angels and, and other tough men, which, you know, there, there's nothing like... <laughs> light beer about those kinds of guys so it's just very funny but what ended up happening was there were other breweries that popped up that were called outlaw light or just outlaw brewery so bob became basically forbidden (laughs) outlaw light is forbidden by the snp basically or or more so sorry legal not snp but legal team wouldn't let him use that anymore in fear of being sued so bob loved outlaw light but he wasn't allowed to use it anymore So then he kind of pivoted to Red Spud. So the idea behind Red Spud for Bob was really being inspired by the iconic Lone Star brand. And Red Spud popped in his head and sounded funny. Because the beer sign, uh, to remind you, we talked about this in depth more in Super Trivia, but the sign has like a red star around it. So that makes sense with Bob being inspired by the Lone Star brand. So Bob says, maybe as potato vodkas were gaining in popularity at the time, uh, that was maybe an influence on his thought process. But then Bob says, why not a potato beer? We have potato bread and potato vodka. Let's step it up, beer people. (laughs) So from there, Red Spud became the Aquatine beer that we will see going forward. Uh, For example, not just in signs, but also cans, bottles, 
coasters, uh, similar props like that. So thank you to Bob for giving me uh, just all that background information. But also, uh, Bob goes on to tell me more interesting things about beer. But this episode is already way too goddamn long, so we'll have to save that for another day. But as always, Bob, a pleasure to talk to and always supplying just gold. So again, you could find him on Twitter at Pettit underscore Art. And also, if you haven't heard it, check out my interview with Bob right here on the podcast. It's a good talk. Let's jump back into our scene here. So remember, the Aqua Teens just saw Dirtfoot. They're kind of in shock, and they're going to talk to Shake more about it. And Shake, he's just very unhappy. He has this shitty roommate. I mean, this is just karma. And in a way, season four is a season of karma in this case and in other cases we will see going forward. Because up until this point, again, Shake has been the worst roommate ever. Now he's dealing with one, and uh, it's, it's a big problem for him. You do realize that this is your media story, don't you? We're not you? giving it to him! <laughs> it's about me! I'm about me! And women! <laughs> Let's go look at over here! This guy's been driving me eight. Uh, well, why don't you just evict him? Shh. It's your well. Shut up, man. Um, because he hurts me. <laughs> so it turns out uh, this is an abusive uh, doommate relationship here. Uh, Dirtfoot is abusing Shake, which is why Shake can't kick him out. Again, I love that this whole story just happened over the course of basically a day. This has been up, and now there's already all this lore between these two roommates. It's just hilarious. But Frylock, of course, points out, look, you're trying to get media attention. This is obviously it, but Shake doesn't want to share the spotlight. It needs to be about Shake so that women will really just focus on him. So Dirtfoot is beating up on Shake, and we're going to see that firsthand now. He's going to start kind of kicking Shake, and Frylock and Meatwad are going to get out of there. But all of this happening after they're going to continue to kind of talk shit about Dirtfoot while he's right there. So can you really blame him? You know, I just heard that you know, Dirtfoot was kind of... Here we go. Uh, <laughs> what, Meatwad, what? Well, you know, I mean, legend has it that he's uh, kind of an asshole. <laughs> you see? I'm not the only one that's... Oh, no! <laughs> okay. It wouldn't be as bad, except he keeps kicking in exactly the same spot. All right, Shake. Well, I've seen him. We're going back now. All right, well, look. Just please call the media. <laughs> I get no reception down here. <laughs> Why must you kick? Why must you kick? I mean, he's dirt foot. He's got no other way to attack you. All he is is a, really a giant foot. So... That is, I believe, Nick Inkatana while playing Dirtfoot. When I interviewed him, I mentioned him voicing Dirtfoot, and he didn't dispute it. So I'm pretty sure that's Nick Inkatanawat. And we're going to see Nick again in our upcoming clip, because now we're going to get this fun live-action clip of Dirtfoot hopping around in the forest. And we're going to have Dave Willis as a, as a narrator here talking about Dirtfoot. So we'll see this actual Dirtfoot costume, and there's someone in it, and that somebody is Nick Inkatanawat. Before we jump into our clip, though, let me play you an excerpt from my interview with Nick, which, of course, you can listen to right here on the podcast for absolutely free, where Nick shares a bunch of amazing stories about working on Aqua Teen, but he shares this particular story of not only that he was in the Dirtfoot costume, he actually had to sew it himself with really not any sewing knowledge whatsoever. I hand sewed that dirt foot costume. Did you really? Yeah, I, I handmade that. Except for the foot, we commissioned that. I there was some guy that made you know pieces for like uh, haunted houses and stuff, uh -huh. and he made the foot. 
And I was so nervous about that, getting that done. They're like, here, make make this costume. I was like, okay, what the fuck? As in, like, it's like a lot of pressure on you, especially to be working with this like professionally made foot. Yeah, yeah, or just like they just threw me that. Dave and I just threw me that. They're like, here, make this costume happen. I'm like, okay, (laughs) sure. So I'm at my house, like sewing this fake fur. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and but I mean, it turned out pretty cool. And they're like, "All right, now wear it and jump around in this ravine in the summer." And I didn't make eye holes in it, so that was oh. So they're yeah. directing me like, <laughs> like uh, "Look that way, look this way, right. jump higher." Right. And I was like, "Okay." I don't know. But that was that was pretty fun. That the costume is still around the office somewhere. And a very recent update for y'all for the dancing is forbidden listeners only is that as of this past week, Phil Sampson, he's in possession of the Dirtfoot costume. He's got it safe and sound back at his house. He just relocated it from his office. So Nick Inkatanawat, not only working on Aquatine and voicing this character, but wearing the suit and making the suit. And he mentioned somebody else made the foot. That would be Roy Woolley who did the prosthetic foot for the Dirtfoot costume. And Roy later went on to work for little films such as Zombieland, uh, Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1 and 2, and something called, I think it's Marvel, Marvel movies, like Captain America, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Black Panther. You probably haven't heard of any of this stuff, but uh, Roy's worked on all of that. So let's jump into our clip here, our live-action shot again. We have a live-action Dirtfoot jumping around the woods, and there's going to be a surprising accusation about this mythical creature. Tonight, on Inappropriate Mysteries of the Jersey Shore... The immortal legend of Dirtfoot. Change it. (laughs) Change it, change it, change it. Oh, now you're blocking it. Dirtfoot has long been known to be rude, but the biggest secret of Dirtfoot is that many witnesses claim him to be gay. The only known photo of him is at this gay pride parade. He's totally gay. Hey, don't look at me. I don't have the same problem that Jesus has with it. I don't hate you people. We're cool, as long as you don't try to convert me. And I'm locking my bedroom door from now on, I can tell you that. Holy wow! That is Dirtfoot, I think, kicking the TV at Shake. So Dirtfoot is not happy about this. He's just trying to enjoy some programming about himself that's thrown around all sorts of accusations. So visually, something great is when they reveal that Dirtfoot might be gay, we see uh, Nick in the Dirtfoot costume kind of looking at some flowers in the woods. Like, that's how they reveal that. And then we see the, the photo of Dirtfoot at a gay pride parade. Like, that's the only known photo of him. And the photo is this kind of stylized drawing of Dirtfoot. He has this colorful yellow and pink top hat on. Uh, he has these kind of little booty shorts on, like right above the foot where it meets his body. Uh, he's carrying this uh, colorful baton-like thing. It's very, very silly. And Dirtfoot, not pleased by this, and Master Shake uh, playing, uh, playing it up. And I love Shake here. He's like, look, I don't have a problem with it. I just don't want you trying to convert me, which is something that so many straight guys, especially around this time, <laughs> that's like a sentiment they would have is like, just don't try and turn me gay. Like, it's like, I don't think anybody's trying to do that, buddy. You could chill out. Like, you know, no women are lusting after Shake. Why does he think that uh, men are going to lust after him as well? 
So just a fun razzing, I guess, of Dirtfoot. And of course, I've seen this episode thrown around as being homophobic. I don't know how pervasive of a, of a theory that is. I mean, this is just how people talked back then. Everybody did it, didn't it? Like, there's just no way around that. This is a product of its time, and this was the language of the time. Now, I'm not saying that that's okay or, or making any sort of judgment like that, but I don't think it's fair to necessarily hold that against uh, the episode, I guess. And surely, if you've listened over an hour and a half into a fucking Aqua Teen podcast, I don't think that you're getting very fumed about it, so I think we can proceed. I want to go back to the to the censorship of the language really quickly. In the previous clip, now Shake was saying, he said fuck, and that got bleeped. I mean, of course it would. But he says bitch, and th- that got bleeped as well. And then previously, Frylock said asshole, and that got bleeped out. So again, it's just kind of confusing in terms of, well, they could say some of these words before. Why can't they now? I'm not really sure. But of course, going forward, uh, things will get a little bit more dicey. I mean, remember, just a few episodes later is an episode called Dickisode. So <laughs> so on to our next clip here. So Shake, you know, getting in a fight with Dirtfoot. And now we are going to cut into the Aqua Teen's house, Frylock's room. Frylock is on his computer, but he's not alone. Meatwad's there, and they're holding hands. <laughs> Similar to how Meatwad and Shake were holding hands at the beginning of the episode. Now we have Frylock and Meatwad holding hands while Frylock is just doing some computing, whatever he's up to. Shake is going to come into the scene, and he's going to want to talk about Dirtfoot. You know, he's not really happy with his situation. And we'll get this really great break in the scene where uh, Shake, he's going to, like, leave the room, go outside to look at the well to make sure that Dirtfoot isn't around to hear what he's going to say about him. And I do want to mention the elevator at this point is up, so Shake is just taking the elevator now up and down. I guess he got tired of scaling the walls, however he was doing it earlier in the episode. Oh, it's you. Thank God you're alive, but how? Shut up! I got problems, all right? I'm supposed to be getting some, big time, on account of my tragedy, but now everyone thinks I'm gay. Who's everyone? Well, f***ing Harlem Globetrotters for one. Curly, metal art. That's why they haven't called. No one thinks you're gay, Shake. Look, it takes time and hard work to become gay. I mean, you need another person to influence your weak emotions. You know, Dirtfoot, down in the well. Hold on. He loves dudes. I so busted him cutting pictures of a Jeep out of a magazine. Then yesterday, he drew my bath water, and he gave me that look like, hey, I wear running shorts. It's okay, so I have to cut Meatwad off here. But the thing is, with what Shake just said, not only is it like funny to imagine, I really don't think any of that actually happened. I think he's just making that up. Because first of all, he's complaining about Dirtfoot as a shitty roommate, well, why would he be drawing bathwater and stuff for Shake? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And also, like, he was cutting a Jeep out of a magazine. Uh, how would Dirtfoot do that? I mean, obviously, there's so many how woulds in this situation. But, like, it doesn't make any sense. I think Shake is honestly making this up to spread rumors about Dirtfoot. But who knows? I guess we'll, we'll see later. But I just love Shake, you know, breaking from the scene to check the elevator there. I'm sure we've all had a moment where we were going to say something about somebody else where you have to kind of, like, look around and make sure that they're not there first. So just one of those fun kind of human moment uh, interactions displayed through Aqua Teen. I want to address the comment from Shake where he says that he's talking about the Harlem Globetrotters. And if you're unfamiliar, the Harlem Globetrotters, they are basically 
a, a troop of basketball players, but it's not like NBA typical basketball. They're doing all sorts of crazy tricks. It's very showy. It's very, you know, it's very much a spectacle what the Harlem Globetrotters do. They're doing all sorts of crazy stuff out on the court. They're not actually a part of the NBA, although they have petitioned to join. Although, uh, to my knowledge, they still have not been accepted. I think back in 2021, they tried again to get in, but I didn't see any development there. So pretty pretty sad because I feel like they've done so much for basketball. I don't even watch the NBA, and I've always been familiar with who the Harlem Globetrotters were. I mean, probably really from cartoons. Like, they were probably in The Simpsons at some point or something. That's how I knew about it. Regardless... Shake name drops Curly and Meadowlark, who are two of the more famous Harlem Globetrotters. I also want to address what Frylock was saying here. I know I said previously that I didn't really take this as homophobic. Uh, I don't really understand what Frylock is saying here. It doesn't seem like Frylock to say something like this, where he said to be gay, you need somebody to like take advantage of your emotions, or, or whatever he says in that line. To me, that doesn't feel like something that Frylock would say, so I'm kind of struggling to understand the joke there. Although it is reminiscent to me of something I have definitely heard uh, supposedly straight guys say. Uh, For example, my buddy's stepdad straight up said something like, well, yeah, everyone wants to have sex with other guys or something like that but you don't actually do it like what what are you talking about like buddy i think you got some stuff to unpack here but yeah as for frylock's uh, what he says i don't know maybe it's just something lost to uh being a mid-2000s joke that i'm not in the mindset of of understanding anymore i don't know so if you will remember our friend Meatwad here he's being a real rat bastard in this episode he's trolling shake well, Meatwad is going to take this gay accusation situation and turn it around onto Shake. It's okay, Shake, because whoever you decide that you are, I still going to love you. But just not in that gay way, because God makes all people different sizes and shapes and problems. But he only makes the people he hate gay. That's you. You it, boy. You gay. No, I'm not. You don't know me. Hey, Frank, what is gay? What does that mean? <laughs> So I love this because Meatwad doesn't even know what he's accusing Shake of. He just knows that it's going to piss Shake off and upset him. So that's the only reason that Meatwad says this. That's his entire motivation. And I mean, given the entire run of Aqua Teen, you can't blame Meatwad in these situations. You know, these rare episodes where he gets back at Shake. If I could mention the music there underneath Meatwad's iconic, you know, sentimental, emotional, heart-wrenching speech... The track is called Home Life. It was composed by Roger Webb, and it was used actually previously in Aqua Teen in the episode PDA, which was the 16th episode of the first season. So we've heard this before, and we're going to be hearing it again because they use it uh, going forward. So link to that track in the description. Of course, thank you to the YouTube channel Video Killed the Radio Star for their great research into all of this Aqua Teen production music. We'll see here going forward, they're going to continue this trend of Meatwad not knowing what gay means. And I'm really brought back to middle school where I would see people use insults that they genuinely didn't know what they meant. Like this one kid calling people douchebags. And I was like, you know, what is a douchebag? Because I knew at the time and the kid straight up didn't know. So he's calling people douchebags, but he didn't actually know what a douchebag was. And that's just you know, par for the course for middle school and kind of uh, par for the course here for Meatwad. 
So Shake is going to just be upset here. He's going to head on over to the kitchen. He's going to open up the fridge and just shotgun a beer. He's just going to down it. Throw the can down, it explodes, of course. This beer can, it's too small. I can't make out what the brand is supposed to be, if there is one at all. But it's like a green kind of can. And Shake's going to try and reformulate what he can possibly do to get the media attention he craves to ultimately get the women that he desires. And then ending the scene, you'll hear a kick because that's Shake kicking Meatwad away, which I guess is kind of him acting out because... Dirtfoot has been kicking him over and over again, so Shake, the best way he knows how to deal with those feelings is to inflict the same thing on somebody smaller than him. Look, Shake, just because you don't want to admit you like living with a gay person, doesn't mean you can't legally marry in the church. I know! <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Look, the right thing to do is to accept him for his difference. Or you could just cut his head off, hide the body in the desert. <laughs> That'd be different. Be Someone's been off the chain again. Look, <laughs> just call Channel 5, get some women over here. Uh, my hand's stuck in the mailbox. <laughs> All right, let's do this thing. Go! <laughs> so the new idea here is Shake, his hand is stuck in the mailbox. Shake, he doesn't want Dirtfoot as a roommate anymore. And Meatwad proposes that Shake cut off Dirtfoot's head. That's one of the options here. And I do want to jump over to Phil Sampson's rough cut of the episode because when Meatwatch suggests that, Frylock comes in with an interesting bit of information. That'd be different. Meatwatch. Someone's been off the chain again. Is that what we learned in Sunday school? Hell no. So the exchange here tells us that Meatwad has evidently been attending Sunday school, which doesn't come completely out of nowhere. If you'll recall the season one episode, Bad Replicant, where we open in on Frylock and Meatwad singing hymnals. Now, Shake is there. Of course, he's not actually singing along. But the idea is that Frylock wanted to attend the church up the street and wanted Meatwad to go there to learn morals and values. So, of course, I don't anticipate that this line in this uh, rough cut was an exact callback to that, but it's not coming completely out of nowhere. So, moving on now, the plan is for Shake. You know, he's done with the dirtfoot business. The well isn't working out, so he's jumping ship. Now his hand is just stuck in the mailbox, so we're going to cut to outside where Shake's hand is in the mailbox. He's crying for help, and then we'll see Dirtfoot peek his head out of the well because he hears that his roommate is in trouble. Help! My hand is stuck in the mailbox! I need help! Assistance! <laughs> oh, not you! Oh, this looks so bad! <laughs> Poor Dirtfoot. He comes out, he has this shocked look on his face, and... He just wants to help his buddy and Shake's, you know, not you. Shake doesn't want him there. I I feel a little bad for poor Dirtfoot here. He's just trying to be a good roommate. He's trying to make up for uh, the tumultuous relationship that they've had. And that's surprising to me. If I were Dirtfoot, I wouldn't be helping Shake out here. In fact, I don't think anybody would, but uh, I guess that's the difference between Dirtfoot and me. So moving on, we're actually going to see our buddy Carl now. For the first time this episode, he has a small but very funny role so the whole idea, of course, is that Shake is going to be getting all this media attention, and that's going to happen in a bit of a roundabout way. We're going to cut into Carl's house. He'll be there with the media talking to him about Dirtfoot and Shake's relationship. Oh, yeah, they've been uh, pretty much common law married uh, for years. It's cool. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. I'm fine with it. I don't think it's, you know, constitutional, but you know, they, they do whatever they want, as long as they ain't flaunting it out in my yard or nothing, because, you know... I'm a man. No, don't lube it 
Oh, oh, wait, wait. Get it There the gay ones. No pictures. Hey, where's my money here? <laughs> so it sounds like Dirtfoot was trying to lube up Shake's hand to get it out of the mailbox. Now, of course, in no capacity is Shake actually stuck. So <laughs> I'm not really sure because we don't actually see that happening. We just hear it kind of alluded to. But we see Shake and he's just standing there next to the mailbox. So, a fun little cameo from Carl, though. They'll do this from time to time in certain episodes where he'll just get one scene. But in this case, as in many others, it doesn't feel shoehorned into me or anything like that. You're glad to see him. The lines are good. And it just kind of keeps the episode moving. So, in this case, Carl, he was talking to the media. Then the media headed over to Shake. So, in this kind of Twilight Zone moment this great irony, Shake is going to get the media coverage that he so desired the entire episode. That's what this whole thing was about. But of course, it's not going to go quite as he expected. So from there, we cut to the Aqua Teens TV. It's sometime later. The three Aqua Teens are inside watching this. We'll hear the coverage and we'll hear their reaction to it. Senior taking his lover in his arms. <laughs> you don't have to be gay to like Dirtfoot. You just have to be gay to be Dirtfoot. Or, to be Dirtfoot, you have to be gay. Oh. <laughs> I guess what we're saying here at Channel 5 is Dirtfoot is gay. And so is that milkshake. Wow. <laughs> this sucks. It's okay, Shake. We know you're not gay. Thank you, Frylock. So we got you a little going away present. Going away? No, no, we ain't living with no gay person. <laughs> is it gay? Is it gay? Oh, Sorry. We ain't living with no gay, dude. Come on, man. Well... What's the present? You've learned a valuable lesson in tolerance. Great. So what you're saying is no present whatsoever. You haven't learned anything at all from this experience, have you? So somebody's at the door. We'll get to that very shortly. So we have Meatwad here. He's the most outright, I guess, homophobic character in the episode but it's very funny because they keep revealing that he doesn't actually know what this is he's only against it because it's clearly making shake uncomfortable so meatwad's playing into that i love that i love the whole moment of he's pronouncing it jay <laughs> so hilarious to me and to address two visual things we saw a picture of dirtfoot and shake that they were showing in the media and basically dirtfoot was for lack of a better term, kind of cradling Shake, like with his foot, between his foot and his body, because he thought he was saving him from, from the scary mailbox. But the other visual thing, and something I love so much that they did, is at a certain point in that previous clip, Frylock reached out and held Shake's hand, which means that every Aquatine in this episode has held hands. We open in on Shake and Meatwad, then we see Meatwad and Frylock, and then here we saw Frylock and Shake. So I love that they had every uh, pair hold hands at some point. Just another one of those kind of in-episode jokes that you don't really see come back. And... Uh, in retrospect, that's probably to play on, like, the gay jokes in this episode, but I'm not really sure. And to me, it's funnier if they're actually not playing on that. If it's just like, yeah, they're just trying to be friendly with each other and hold each other's hands is, is so funny to me. But this episode, it's nearly done, and Shake really just screwed himself over here because he wanted the media coverage. Eventually, Frylock and Meatwad went down into the well, and Frylock said, well, this is your media story, right? You know that? And the only reason that the media ever roped Shake into anything is because he was hanging around with Dirtfoot. They didn't care about Shake or the fact that he may or may not be gay. It was because he was with Dirtfoot. So if Shake had just, you know, said, hey, I found Dirtfoot, his media coverage might have been a little bit more in his favor than the way things ended up escalating. 
But the episode is not over yet. There was a knock at the door, and we have Miss Billie Jean Reeves, Dave Willis's grandmother herself, showing up at the Aqua Teen's house. She had a bit of an accident. You see, uh, their dog was outside playing around, and as happens from time to time, well, you can hit the dog with your swords. It happens to everybody. It's not her fault. So Dave's granny's gonna show up, and then Shake is gonna see a woman there, so he's gonna run outside next to Dirtfoot. We see Dirtfoot here, by the way, laying. <laughs> he's just <laughs> impaled by, I counted, 18 swords that are in him. There are 17 in his head and then one in his foot. So Granny had a real big accident, but again, Shake, he sees a woman. He runs out by Dirtfoot with the katana from earlier in the episode. Remember, at the beginning of the episode, Shake said, cut me in half so I can get women. He's going to cut himself in half. Sir. Hey, baby. I'm so sorry. I think I hit your dog. Check this out. Uh-oh. With my swords. Uh, that's not a dog. I'm straight. Look at me. <laughs> so a very gory scene here because we have Dirtfoot already laying out dead, impaled by 18 swords in a pool of his own blood. Poor guy. And then we have Shake running out, cutting himself in half with the katana, and then his top half will slide down the bottom half, and then we see his organs kind of jiggling. So I think this being a good indication of the animation advancements that they've made on the show, because up until this point, there hasn't been that much crazy visual things going on compared to some other episodes. I mean, we did have the 3D moment in the elevator, which was certainly a first for Aqua Teen. But otherwise, this episode hasn't been too crazy in the animation department. But this just being a little nod to the fact that this episode was made in 2005 with 2005 technology versus, you know, pr in previous years. So I really like this because it brings the episode full circle. This is a very circular kind of episode in ways that might not immediately have been apparent. I mean, they certainly weren't for me before covering it here that there's so many like tying up of jokes and and references to the beginning of the episode for example with this katana but you know again with the uh, shake wanting media coverage and getting it now here he is with a woman so everything's just hap happening in this weird roundabout way and it's all just calling back to the beginning of the episode so a very focused episode of aqua Teen here some tight storytelling i think and some big payoffs with the jokes and the payoffs are not over yet because Granny, well, I should mention here, she's a, a sweet old lady, she has a walker, she's wearing a colorful cardigan, and uh, <laughs> that cardigan, well, you saw Bruno Sardine, once Shake got hurt, it just triggers something in women where their clothes come off. Oh no, my top just came off. Don't look me what? No. Oh dear. I'll look. So that is the end of Dirtfoot. <laughs> Frylock, he gets to look ultimately at the end. You know, we haven't seen a ton of Frylock this episode, but uh, ultimately, I guess he gets the payoff here. And I love it because the first time I saw this episode, I would have thought that was just random. I wouldn't have really thought about earlier in the episode. I mean, it's Aqua Teen. You're not always used to that kind of payoff, but this is definitely an episode that delivers. And, and, Billy Jean here just putting just a beautiful bow on the top of this episode. And the cool thing about this is we actually have the footage of her recording those lines. And you hear Dave kind of coaching her. You hear the guy's reaction. So I would like to play that for you. Granny, you basically showed up at this house. Mm-hmm. And you've, like, accidentally hit their dog. So you got to mm -hmm. go up and 
ring the doorbell and sort of be like, I'm afraid I hit your dog. <coughs> Now, do I say it now? Say it how you would say it if this really happened. I, I'm afraid I hit your dog. <laughs> <laughs> Apologize. Do it like I'm you would so do it. I'm sorry. I just, it was an accident. <laughs> but I'm afraid I hit your dog. But I'm, I'm really afraid that I hit your dog. <laughs> With my swords. With my sword. <laughs> Actually, swords, you have many. What? Actually, it's swords, plural. You have a lot oh, of swords. swords. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now what? Well, you need to say the line. Okay. Do I say sir or ma'am or what? Yeah, you can say sir. That'd be great. Do it however you would do it. And, yeah. You know. Okay. Sir, I'm so sorry. I think I hit your dog with my swords. I really didn't mean to do it. I've never done anything like that before. All right. Now say, my top magically came off. My top magically came off. <laughs> Let's do another couple like that. Do it. Do it like your 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 blouse literally disappeared. My blouse. Yeah, like... Oh, I thought it was top, top on your head or something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. My top just came off. Magically. My magically... My top just came off magically. <laughs> my top magically came off. And my you're really you're really alarmed. I mean, this is in public. <laughs> oh, oh, no. My top magically came off. <laughs> So there is a tiny bit more footage at the end of that. You can actually catch that on Adult Swim's YouTube. So link to that in the description if you'd like to watch it. I would definitely suggest it. So I reached out to Dave with a couple questions about this because I was just curious how getting his grandmother involved worked. Like what were the details of that? What was her reaction to that? So I reached out to Dave and he actually responded saying that he wanted to just talk about it on the podcast. So let's talk to Dave about his granny. First of all, what were kind of her thoughts on Aquatine and like on what it is that you did? I don't think she really, I don't think anyone in my family really has an opinion about it. I think they just see that I'm able to sustain a life uh, by doing this kind of work. So I, I don't think they, they're not, they're not, it's not like they're like, well, we watched your movie. They, they don't. <laughs> They just don't care. They have a farm and they're just like, that's what they're into. They're horses and they're cows. And, you know, my dad will occasionally wear, my dad likes to have the t-shirts and he likes to wear the shirts around and, and he'll like to not so subtly mention the show <laughs> in a restaurant. Uh, when he finds out that they won't give him a discount for serving in <laughs> Vietnam <laughs> then he'll then he'll drop Aqua Tea and see if that maybe rings some bells for some five or ten percent off. But my grandmother was always uh, very. Um, my grandmother just was always very sweet and was just easy to laugh always. So I think it made her. I think it made her proud, and um, she felt like Granny and Squidbillies was based on her. And 
it was in little ways, mm-hmm. you know, the name and the walker and, but certainly my grandmother was not remotely as promiscuous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there are, the, like, to say that it was really based on her is kind of stretching it. But yeah, whenever they'd have a plumber over to the house or whatever, they would always, you know, they'd always find a way to drop it into the conversation. <laughs> Granny, Gran, I think Granny did that once. They had a plumber or somebody working on the air conditioner and she's, and he knew Squidbillies and she'd be like, well, that, that character's based on me. <laughs> You know, and I'm sure he was like, oh, my God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, but I um, but I also thought she was she was really good. You know, some people loosen. Some people are loose in there and some people some people tighten up and they're just not weirdly. They're just not comfortable in front of a microphone. They just can't dissolve that wall between them acting and who they are. They just can't find that. And she is not one of those people. She, Mm. she just seemed to really, really sort of swing with it, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I was surprised how, uh, just naturally, cause there's the footage of her recording it with you guys. So just how natural she was with it and, and how funny it was just right out the gate. Yeah. And I can't imagine that any of her church group at the time could have possibly, approved mm-hmm. of any of mm-hmm. it <laughs> well that, i guess that, that leads into a question i have because did your family have any thoughts on you including her and particularly with a scene you know because the character is based on her visually so like her her shirt magically disappears was there maybe a little uh, pushback from the family on that or or I, I doubt she was telling people at church that she did it but no i mean my dad uh you know she needed help getting up the service elevator and my dad was there and you know i mean we We've done that with, I hate to say it, but I will on this podcast. We we brought my mother in to do one. And I was like, my mom, uh, for whatever reason, could not find that same, mm. <laughs> that same thing that my grandmother <laughs> could yeah. sort yeah. of easily, just that sort of natural thing. We never did it. We never did it with my dad, but Matt Thompson uh, of Archer knew my dad was a uh, pilot and had his uniform and was like back when Archer, they would shoot, they would just shoot people and Mm -hmm. shoot these poses and build it in illustrator. And he uh, asked me to get my dad to come into town in his Delta uniform. And he shot a bunch of pictures. (laughs) And so my dad is in like an episode of Archer, but he never, right. right. Early on, but he never says anything. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, no, no, they, they were, they were all great with it. They just, I don't know. I mean, my family's not really, they're not really like me (laughs) in the way that they, right. That they don't earn, it's not a desire for them to, to do this kind of stuff. And, Mm -hmm. but they were happy to do it. You know, do you remember how it is that you got the idea to include granny in the episode dirt foot? Did you go in wanting to include her or did it just come about? Do you remember anything about that period? I really don't. I mean, I, I do think it was probably something that was very organic. I mean, we we would usually tend to vibrate around the idea of a villain. And then we would start to sort of think in terms of who would play it. And casting Granny at the 
that was sort of, um, that was almost like a last minute afterthought. It was always like, if we had some tiny role, we would just be like, it would be like, well, we really need to get this person in the booth because right now it's either me or Matt scratching in the voice. <laughs> right. And uh, that's not going to fly. Uh, <laughs> and then it would, so then it, then it, it was, then it became like, well, I bet my grandmother actually would be pretty good at this. And mm-hmm. I think the thing that Granny was most thrilled about was um, the fact that she was paid and the show was non union. <laughs> Right. And it was like, I don't, she probably got like, and Vishal was pretty tight with a buck. So she probably got like 250 bucks maybe. Mm -hmm. And she felt like that was found money. I mean, she was like just pirouetting in a room over it, you know, just (laughs) loving it. And I was like, you know, technically, you probably got woefully underpaid for that, Grandy. But, mm. but that's all right. I mean, <laughs> two fifty was great. She was yeah. she was thrilled with it. Yeah, yeah. But to take a step back, when you reached out to her, do you remember her reaction? Do you remember telling her that you wanted to use her in an episode? I'm trying to remember. Uh, not, no, but you know, she was living with my parents at the time, and. Um, yeah, absolutely. She was she was she was thrilled to do it, and uh, you know she just had such a such a warm heart and a great spirit, and just so easy to laugh, and just such a so, had so many just great great qualities that you you wish um, that everyone could emulate. You know that that that. Uh, so no, I don't I I, I don't remember, but. I didn't think anything of asking her because I just knew she wouldn't have an issue with it. It'd be fun for her, you know, fun little trip into the city and whatever. I don't imagine you would remember this, but in the footage of you recording the line with Granny, you guys go out to lunch afterwards. And I was wondering if you might remember where you went to lunch after recording that line. Possibly Daddy D's. That was this, that was sort of a regular place for us when someone would come in from out of town probably it's a barbecue joint and granny was from texas and just loved i know i've seen granny later in when colon movie film came out you guys had the red carpet kind of footage and you you had her there you're like feeding her lines like yes it's it's enjoyable for people ages 7 to 70 or something like that (laughs) which is funny because she was older than 70 at that point (laughs) (laughs) so uh so she so it it's so I didn't enjoy it, but that's only because I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of the uh, the recommended age group on that one, right? I don't really have a question. I guess I, I just assume that it's, it seemed like she was just very proud of you and everything that you accomplished. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was proud of. Yeah, absolutely. She was proud of me and my sister, and and she was. Uh, you know. I don't know what else I can say. You know, she's mm-hmm. a sweet lady. She grew up in the church singing mm-hmm. in the choir and set up the communion wafers for, uh, for communion at church and grew up in a tiny town of 2000 people in Texas came here when her husband died, came here and lived with my parents. And, um, you know, it was just such a great, uh, great. I'm great. I'm glad that my, my kids got to know her. 
Um, just a very, very, very sweet, sweet, loving person. And, uh, you know, I'm glad she got to be a part of that. I'm glad that the animators have always found a way to sort of insert her in the background whenever we have a crowd or something. It just right. makes me, it just makes me very, very happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's great that my grandmother will, will live on in, uh, in Aqua Teen. <laughs> so when Dave said that, I didn't really let it slide because he seemingly was kind of laughing at it and putting down the idea that, yeah, she lives on in Aqua Teen. But, you know, for me, it's it's a show that brings me a lot of joy. And if you're listening to this, I assume it's the same for you. So I think it is really beautiful the way that all these years later, we could still be dying laughing at this just ridiculous thing that Dave's grandmother agreed to do and I think it just says so much about her that she was willing to jump in and just killed it in this episode again just putting a a beautiful bow on the top of what was already a very strong episode so Dave's grandmother was 84 when she recorded that part I don't think there's many 84 year olds that would have done something like that and made this episode just as brilliant as it is So hopefully learning a little bit more about Granny uh, makes you appreciate this joke more. I mean, certainly the first time I saw it, I had no clue who this woman was. You assume it's just, oh, it's just some, some old lady. But once you learn who it is, I think it just makes it even better. So thank you, Dave, for getting on here and, and just sharing a little bit more about his grandmother, somebody who was very important to him. I, I really appreciated hearing it. And hopefully you did too. So that is Dirtfoot. That is this great episode that I've been waiting so long to cover. Although I should mention that there is some custom outro music here. So I'll throw that on the end of the episode. We have Schoolie D doing a little Dirtfoot rap. So this episode, Dirtfoot, it's a very smart episode of Aqua Teen. It's a tight episode. Lots of tying up of loose ends. Lots of callbacks to previous jokes. We have a handful of in-episode jokes, like with the guys holding hands that I love, with Meatwad just, he's there solely to, to troll Shake, but also Frylock a little bit too. He's kind of acting out a bit here. I guess Sunday school isn't really working for him, so maybe that's why they cut that line. But I'm not going to dwell on it here like I usually do with, with these episode wrap-ups. I think this is a great one. I love Dirtfoot. Everything about the construction of of this episode, I just really appreciated. It's just tight, it's quick, and there's just so many jokes packed into this thing. So because of that, I think I got to give this one five swords out of five. I mean, I I can't fault this episode. It brings me so much joy. It's always going to be a favorite. And I'm glad that season four is starting off the same way that season three did with just a, a fantastic, very notable episode of Aqua Teen. You love to see it. And I do want to mention, though, that we do get some great moments from all the Aqua Teens and even Carl in this one. And that's always uh, an important bit. And even though Dirtfoot, as our villain, he doesn't say anything, he still manages to be very notable, which is something that not all of the nonverbal villains can really say. Uh, <laughs> no pun intended on that. But you know what I'm saying. There's so many times where they introduce a character that doesn't really say anything, and it's easy to just kind of forget about them. But Dirtfoot, for whatever reason, is not one of those characters. So that is it for me this week, our longest episode of the podcast yet, or at least our longest deep dive yet. Hope you enjoyed this one. Excited to keep going through season four with you. It is a privilege to be in your ear talking teens with you, especially to command so much of your time in this ridiculous way. Thank you all the guys who work on the show who helped out with this one. You know, Ken Osborne, 
Bob Pettit, Phil Samson with the wonderful rough cut, and Dave Willis for hopping on mic with me here. Of course, thanks again to Shinsuke and Eric for supporting this podcast. If you would like to support this podcast, if this podcast brings you value, you'd like it to keep going, and for me to put this much research into it, I would love to be able to do something like this for every deep dive, then please consider signing up to the Patreon at patreon.com slash dancingisforbidden. There is a link in the show notes. At the $5 and up level, you will get access to over 24 hours of exclusive content, including nine hours into the colon movie film for theaters, which we do get a little dirt foot cameo in. Uh, Deep dives into other Aqua Teen stuff like Space Kataz or the live action Radon short film and other Adult Swim shows that we talk about here in, in these deep dives. Of course, thanks to our top tier supporter, our Highlander Nick. There can be only one! There's only one known photograph of Dirtfoot, and there's only one Nick. Of course, shout out to our number one in the Hoodgie tier patrons, Sean, Ian, Captain Buford, Robison, Jason, Carl, Lechera Tone69, Empower706, SwimWiki, and Carson. You guys can get the hell in my well any day of the week. Keep it cool. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Uh, people treat dirt like dirt to stall Because it got plenty money cocaine in the car It got a big old dick about six feet tall And he f***ed more bitch than the movie stars Uh, uh, yeah Dirt like dirt Dirty dirt Oh uh, yeah I, well, here's a little sneak peek I don't, I don't want to take, I don't want to say too much But we We hired one big guy for one of the episodes that I I just want to, I, I can't say that. I'll, sure, sure. I'll get in trouble, but we hired, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to get in trouble. But <laughs> yeah, I, we there, don't, we don't have to, we don't have to talk there, about There's it. this sci-fi, there's this kind of sci-fi cult legend actor that we hired for this very bit role. And, um, it's like a sort of a classic aqua teen thing. And he's, he's gotta be in his eighties and he came in and he, he, he killed it, but he also loved doing it, loved working in with us. But I also think he just, it was almost like he just wanted to hang out, you know, like he would ask us questions mm-hmm. and he's talking to us about the news. And it was just like, it was apparent to me that like the COVID years and just it's separated so many people, but like older people, especially like, right. I don't know how this guy lives his life, but it was clear to him that it clear to us that it was like, well, maybe he hadn't had a, he hadn't, hadn't been called by anybody in a couple of years to do anything. Mm-hmm. So he came in like thrilled, you know, mm-hmm. and he couldn't believe how it only took a few takes, you know? Right, right. I mean, some cartoons, some people will just like, they'll just beat you into the ground. Now give it to me sad. Now give it to me happy. Like, because they've hired a voiceover director 
like that doesn't want to screw up. So they get every possible permutation of the line. Mm-hmm. And with us, it's just me and Matt. We know exactly what we want. And when we hear it, we're like, let's move on. And I think he thought, wow, that took three minutes. I would have, I wish that would have taken 30, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll, this will make more sense when you find out who it is. I just don't want to drop that. It's, it's very cool to us, this mm-hmm. casting. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's uh, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to reveal it yet. 